0: This top doc will be leading an effort to train other doctors. Stick around. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is The Chuck Williams Show. Welcome back. It's Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, so we must be doing The Chuck Williams Show. We have a really special guest tonight, um, a gentleman that I met a couple months back. At a coffee shop uh, with uh, Reverend Jimmy Elder, and his name is Doctor Maurice Solis. He is new to Columbus, fairly, um, and he will be the dean of the new Columbus um, office. Not the new Columbus uh, campus. Campus, yeah. Thanks. Need some help there, Doc. Uh, Campus of the Mercer Medical School. Doctor Solis, welcome to the Chuck Williams Show.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
0: Um, You're new to Columbus. When did you get here?
1: so uh, November was when I started as the uh, campus Dean and we moved just it happened rather suddenly so we basically uh, moved in in October and I started working a few weeks later
0: Wow so you've been here almost a year now not, yeah
1: not quite maybe eight months
0: okay is as, as you've moved into Columbus what uh, What about our community has struck you as somebody who's an outsider who is going to be in a critical position in this town?
1: You know, one of the most interesting parts about Columbus has been seeing what was done with the downtown area and how successful that was and how it seems like the community, the the leaders, the business leaders and the community leaders – are sort of so wrapped up in helping the town grow. It's really quite nice to see. That's not true
0: everywhere. It really isn't. I mean, the, the public and private partnerships, of which Mercer is one, the Mercer Med School is certainly one of those, uh, are a trademark or a hallmark of this town. What do you like most about downtown? Which favorite restaurant?
1: So our favorite restaurant is actually 11th and Bay,
0: Good um, which Solid. Is
1: nice. And we're living at the Rapids Apartments, and so Trevioli's, which is downstairs, is that's hard to beat, too.
0: Whenever, yeah. my, whenever my wife doesn't want to cook, it's like, well, there's a restaurant downstairs. Do you ever order their pizza? Oh, oh, absolutely. oh absolutely. That's yeah. one of my go-tos down. I live downtown, too. Um, let's start. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, obviously, you're a doctor. You're a vascular surgeon, I believe. But just tell me a little bit about where you grew up and sort of how you ended up. In the medical field,
1: so I grew up mostly in Gainesville, Florida, and as you know, that's where the University of Florida is. And I grew up there because my father, who was a civil engineer, was a professor of engineering at the University of Florida. So I grew up, sort of going to middle school and high school in Gainesville, and then I went to college there. And my dad was a professor there for many, many years.
0: So, so you, so you were, you're a true Gator then.
1: Oh yeah, okay. like I have bona fides. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know about telling you that. You know, you got Auburn over here, <laughs> yeah, Georgia there, Tuscaloosa that way. But yeah. I mean, you know, Gainesville is Gainesville is a cool town. Imagine it'd it be is. a neat place to grow up.
1: It was. And you know, these days it's so much bigger than it was when I was, you know, in high school and college. It's so really what year did you, you
0: graduate high school? Seventy seven? Seventy six, yeah. Okay. So so you're so what was it like back then?
1: I mean it was a small little college town with very little traffic and you know, we, uh, basically, when we were in high school, in the in the summer, we'd go over to to the campus, to the Florida campus, and play touch football on on Florida Field. It wasn't called the Swamp back then, so it was that kind of <laughs> that kind of place.
0: Wow, I mean, you know, when you grow up in a college town like that, it kind of gives you a little different view of education, particularly with your dad on the faculty there. I mean, so education was clearly. Front center and important in your oh, world
1: for both my parents, they really, really thought that education was the most important thing for their children, and they really pushed us to, to do well in school. It was a, it was very, very important in our family.
0: Um, you are Cuban American. You were actually born in Havana. You were telling me that's right. So,
1: and, and one of the reasons that education was so important to them was because, as they always said, they can't take that from you.
0: What did your da- your dad was an engineer in Havana?
1: He was an engineer. My mother, uh, unusual for the time, had actually gone to the University of Havana and was an architect. And they had a small sort of growing construction company, had sort of built a couple of apartment small apartment complexes when when the revolution came and Castro took over and nationalized all the property and all the banks and everything and basically they came to they came to the United States with essentially Luggage and clothes, and that's all that they could bring.
0: And you, right? You and, were you and, were me an and my sister. That's right. How old was your sister? Uh,
1: she was one and a half, and I was a half.
0: Wow. So, so your parents let were right. left. I, I guess fled's the right word. Then, right? I mean, yeah.
1: Like, I mean, you could still leave. And so they actually came, you know, by airplane. <clears throat> but, um, but the difficulty, of course, was getting a visa. And so my father, who had actually gone to University of Florida. A few summers, actually, did have some uh, Florida friends, and was able to sort of get a get a job that allowed him to get a visa and come and come to the United States.
0: Did they ever go back? Did they, No.
1: In are fact, they, are uh, they still alive? They, they're not. They're not, and uh, they never went back. And they sort of objected to people going back because they really thought that that was just propping up the communist regime and basically helping. You know the the bad people that that uh, that took over the country by going there and spending tourist dollars and all that. So they were actually against tourism to Cuba.
0: Wow! So they were they were ardent anti anti Castro.
1: Yes, like uh, they were they were sort of typical of that generation. They were they were hardline anti communist anti Castro Cuban Americans.
0: One of the things that I've heard is, in a Cuban household, or at some special occasions, one of the toasts is "Next year in Havana." Did you, was that ever anything in your in your household?
1: No, you actually actually they they basically thought, as I've heard them tell the story, they they thought that in a year or two, the United States would basically not allow a communist regime down there. Um, and that they would sort of go take care of the Castro's, <laughs> and they would go back. But after a few years, that it became clear that that's not what was going to happen. After the the Russians sort of supported them and the Bay of Pigs and the missile crisis and all that, they just went all in for the United States. They just they became Americans. They changed our names actually to to, to Americanize them. Oh um, wow! And uh, and they were sort of extremely patriotic Americans and had no desire to ever go back.
0: Wow. that I mean, and I guess being raised in that environment, you know, it impacts you. I'm oh, sure, yeah. Um, are you watching the unrest in Havana right now? Are you more than casually or just sort of casually?
1: Just sort of casually. I mean, I've read certain histories and I usually just sort of, if there's a new story about Cuba, I sort of I have to read it just out of curiosity um but uh, honestly they're uh you know it's not they're not doing well over there economically it's it's relatively a failed sort of system i mean everybody would think most people would admit that
0: except the anybody design. who's seen it would yeah. understand it I, I was there in 2015 i understand you have been back i mean if you've seen the infrastructure you it's seen crumbling Oh, yeah. it's just unbelievable. Literally, the buildings just sort of fall fall down. I mean, you know, and some of those buildings are nothing short of spectacular when you look at the architecture and stuff. Okay, that's not – I mean, I could do a whole show <laughs> talking about Cuba, but that's not – I could, too, but that, yeah, that's, that's not why we're here. That's <laughs> not why we're here. Um, let's shift gears back. Okay, so you graduate, undergraduate from Florida, and then uh, med school?
1: Yeah, I went to medical school at uh, Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, interestingly, I did not get into medical school at Florida, and my mother never did forgive the University of Florida. She became a lifelong Seminole fan after that. <laughs> so you applied um, to Florida yeah, and ended up going that, to Wake and Forest. I ended up going to Wake Forest, which is, of course, a very a very good medical school.
0: Things work out well, though. I mean, that, That's right. you, you were where you should have been, Right.
1: Right. Oh, yeah, I, would, I loved Wake Forest. I wouldn't have given that
0: up. And Winston-Salem's a beautiful town. It is, and it's a, and it's a very good school. So you come out of Wake Forest, and I guess when you, when you get a medical degree, you have to sort of decide what you want to do because it becomes a menu after that. Uh, how did you decide kind of what direction to take your medical education?
1: So the first... Day of the first surgical clerkship that I was on as a medical student, uh, they were fixing a facial fracture and they had me hold the eyeball out of the way with their little retractor while they were like plating this cheekbone. That was it. I was like completely just sold. I was doing surgery from like that day.
0: So, I mean, a lot of people would run from that. What about that was appealing to you?
1: It's just the coolest thing in the world. I mean, doing surgery is one of the coolest things you can do. It's just, it's hard to explain if you haven't seen it and done it. But it's got to be up there with, I don't know, flying jets or just things that that as you're doing it and you learn how to do it, it's, it's
0: just amazing. You know, I want my surgeon to think what he does <laughs> is the coolest thing in the world. That, that's a good start for healthcare. So, so you fell in love with the fact that you could heal and mend and fix the body by being ev- invasive. I mean, right. that's that. I mean, that that's you. Know, does it take a certain? Psychological makeup to want to do that, or is sure,
1: you... because it's a high stress, you know, situation. It's uh, things go wrong. You you can be the cause of complications and pain that are that, that is a sort and that, that you cause in a personal way that non-surgical people sort of probably don't feel it as personally as we do. So my, yeah, my typos is not the same thing. Yeah, my
0: typos is not the same thing as your, is that it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. So have you always been somebody who operated well under stress?
1: Yeah. I've been told I mean, that, that I never sweat. In fact, I've had like students and residents go, wow, you just never seem like you're tightened up. And I go, well, that's on the outside, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not always true on the inside.
0: When you started the surgical, so how did you end up kind of gravitating to vascular surgery? And for people who might not know, explain vascular surgery.
1: So, you know, the first part of surgical training is general surgery, which is a lot of abdominal surgical oncology, gallbladder, hernia, that type of thing. Um, and uh, as part of general surgery training, in Macon in particular, there was a very large cardiac and vascular surgery Uh, Practice there that we rotated on. And uh, the vascular surgery was just one of these sort of reconstructive type surgeries as opposed to taking things out. You sort of have to reconstruct things. You have to get the circulation unblocked. You have to figure out some way of getting the blood flow to whatever the, the organ or the limb is that's not getting it. And so there's a sort of a a creative constructive part of it that's pretty interesting because you can if somebody's got a blockage to a leg artery say there's you could come up with different ways of how to fix that problem Um, you can try to just get the blockage out these days you could try to stent it open you can do bypass surgeries around it you can and you can how you do that you can sort of make up in different ways depending on what the anatomy is so there's Something sort of creative and reconstructive about it that appealed to me.
0: So you did that uh, that internship. Your first residency was in Macon. In Macon,
1: right <laughs> when the when, right when Ma- uh, Mercer Medical School was getting started. Actually, I I had I was a second year resident when the first students from Mercer started ro- uh, rotating at the hospital. So I was actually like there at the ground floor of of the School of Medicine.
0: And. Macon became an important place for you because that's where you met your wife, right? That's
1: where I met my wife while I was a surgery resident in Macon. She was an OR nurse. And, uh, and after uh, I did a vascular fellowship, I actually we went back to Macon, and I practiced in Macon for, for many, many years.
0: And so you were in Macon practicing when you took this job,
1: right? actually the, the our last job we uh, me and two heart surgery partners of mine in 2014 we were all we were in a big uh, cardiac and vascular practice private practice in Macon we we went to three of us went to valdosta they were looking for cardiac and vascular surgeons because they had lost theirs for, for mostly by retirement and we sort of went there to pick up and continue that program in valdosta so the last six years I was in Valdosta with a couple of my friends.
0: Wow. So <clears throat> Mercer decides Mercer Medicine, Mercer's a private school in 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 Macon. Mercer has got a good a good med school. You got a campus in Macon and Savannah. Savannah. Mer- and then this will be the third, right? That's right. Um when you saw the job posting or however you find out about being dean. How did, how did you find that out?
1: Um, it was sort of <coughs> sent my way that, that they were going to start a medical school here um, from folks from the Macon campus, because you can imagine I'd been there for so long that I knew that I, a lot of people from, <coughs> from Mercer University. And, you know, they sort of sent word that they, you know, if I was interested to, to apply for it and, and talk to them and see if it'd be something. That, uh, that I'd like to do. I was actually considering retiring and sort of traveling and taking it easy. And so this, and I think that got out. And so it so it sort of like came back, well, why don't you think about doing this?
0: And what'd you know about Columbus?
1: So little that it's surprising. You know, Macon's not that far from here. I mean...
0: hundred miles. Yeah.
1: We had no idea. We had no idea how nice it was. We had no idea... How nice this downtown thing had been. We had no idea about the whitewater thing.
0: See, if we Macon had... people told, if they told people Macon how nice Columbus was, everybody would leave Macon and come to Columbus. That's my theory. But, I mean, um,
1: so maybe, transgressive. Is that why you all keep it a secret? Because, uh, <laughs> honestly, my wife and I were both, we've, we've said this multiple times, that the, it's like we, have, we had no idea how nice it was. We'd never come over here. And it was at, you know, it's very close.
0: Have you done the whitewater rafting? I heard sure you mentioned. Oh my
1: it. God, my wife is like, just loves it. We've done it. We got season passes, and we like we, we did it last weekend. We do it like every other weekend. We've done like <laughs> seven seven rafting
0: trips since it got warm. So do you like? So that's great. Yeah. Have Have you been dumped a couple of times? You have to.
1: Oh, we, our favorite is called the the Carnage trip. That's late in the day <laughs> in the smaller boat you can't make it through that thing without without getting <laughs> tossed out at least once it's uh it's it's really a hilarious way. we just
0: love it. it it you know it's interesting cuz so many people that live here don't do the rafting they may have done it once and haven't gone back uh, you're you're one of the few people I've I've heard that says you know you like doing it on a regular basis yeah um,
1: we we do um we got season passes so any weekend we want to go take a rafting trip we just go take
0: one and the guides are pretty interesting folks yeah they're fun yeah, yeah they're they're, they're kids. Them are
1: students you know that do that are doing this in the summer and
0: yeah it's it it it, it is a different view of columbus plus you see all these people i think uh dan gilbert who owns whitewater express said 98 97 98% of their customers are coming from out of town right now
1: yeah, in fact, when you go on these trips, they usually ask people where they're from, and it, they're from all over the place. They're from all over the place.
0: And you say, well, we're going to go right past where I live. Right, but <laughs> people
1: tell us where they are, and then we're usually going, where are you from? Uh, yeah, up the street, <laughs> up up the river walk. And that's the other thing. We see them coming down all afternoon because we've got a balcony <laughs> overlooking the river.
0: So, so you get here, and you're starting a school. What's the... What's been the most challenge? I mean, obviously you're building a $35 million building on the river. What's been the most challenging thing about starting a med school from the ground up?
1: So, you know, Mercer, this is their third campus. So they do have sort of quite a bit of institutional knowledge, you might say, of how to do it. So the difficulty for me hasn't been having to figure out sort of how things go um, or how to build a medical school. It's really trying to learn the system of Mercer School of Medicine and getting involved in, in how it works. Um, so that you know, an administrative position is something I've never done before, and so really, there's quite a learning curve to how how to sort of be in this position and what I should be doing. And it's 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 unusual in that. The job description for this position is rather vague. It doesn't. It's not like if somebody said, "I want you to be a vascular surgeon in this building over here," I'd know exactly what that is. I'd see patients one or two days a week over here. I'd schedule them for surgery. I'd go over there and do cases. Somebody says, "You know, what is it?" When I when I'd ask, "So, what am I going to be doing actually as dean? What is the actual job?" The responses are not like, on Mondays you do this, and on Tuesdays you're going to do that. It's, it's, it, you're going to form relationships with the other institutions. You're going to be involved in hiring the people as the thing grows. But it's all sort of vague. So the, the biggest challenge is learning what, how, to, how to be the dean of the campus. <clears throat> if that makes sense, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I mean, sure you know, I'm sitting
0: here because I fully understand. I mean, you know, it's like the skill set is different than what the skill set that's required to be a top five vascular surgeon. But you obviously you're kind of moving into it now um, because you're in addition to hiring a staff and finishing off the building. You know, you're having to also be a tour guide. I mean, you've had given you're giving media and community tours. You're an ambassador to the things. I mean, you're obviously having to work with both hospitals and the research groups here. And I want to get into that in a minute. But what's been the reception from St. Francis, Emory, and Piedmont Columbus Regional to having this in their town?
1: Oh, so i um, You know, I. Haven't really come across anybody that just that doesn't think it's going to be great for Columbus. There's been really that the community is just so supportive of the whole project, and that was true before I got here because you know, they really the only reason that there is going to be a medical school here is because of tremendous support from the business leaders, the, the corporate sponsors, the city government, the state government. That really that's why there's a medical school here. Mercer's putting a lot into it, but they basically were the ones, all those other folks are the ones that actually made it a reality. So the support from the community has been fantastic.
0: How will the hospitals play into the new med school?
1: So the second two years of medical school really isn't going to be in that building. That's the first two years. The first two years of medical school, they learn basic sciences from Ph.D. faculty and MD faculty. They learn how to do, how to take a medical history They learn learn how to do a physical examination on standardized patients that are basically actors acting as a patient with a particular complaint. Um, And they learn how to start thinking like a doctor, basically, which is a particularly kind of way of thinking when you're talking to somebody. Um, And that's the first two years. That's really what's going to be done over there, that and gross anatomy dissections and that kind of thing. The second two years is mostly done at hospitals and clinics and offices in town. So the two hospitals and the doctors in town that have been, seeing, have been teaching our students already, because we have students come from the other two campuses for the last eight years or so, um, they're critical to the, whole, to the whole
0: project. So you will see third- and fourth-year med students. You could have one of those guys with you if you go to a family practice doctor or you end up in the ER.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And that's where the that's where they're learning the the basics of their of their craft,
1: right? That's right. And that's uh, and that's how medical school really has been taught for for many many years. A couple of years of learning the basics, and then two years of learning how to how to be a doctor by hanging around doctors and residents and and helping them take care of patients.
0: What type of person makes a good med student obviously one with good grades but i mean what kind of person are you looking for
1: so we're looking for somebody that has a sort of an internal desire to help people um and to help people in a certain way that that makes them that makes the hard work worthwhile to them i mean being a physician's hard. I mean, that's just the truth of the matter. And, and vascular surgery is quite a, quite hard. Um, and so you, you have to find, you, you want to find a student that is going to be loving what they do because they're going to be doing it for long hours in a high-stress situation. Um, and so we look for students that just seem to have a passion for it.
0: One of the things y'all are also looking for is you're looking for students that are willing to go back into underserved areas in the state,
1: right? Well, that's our mission, basically. You know, we, it's a, the, the Mercer Medical School is a partnership with the state, and our mission is to educate physicians that will go back and, and work in underserved and rural areas. And, and that mission really is the driving force behind the medical school, and we take that very, very seriously, mostly with
0: our admissions policy. I mean, you could easily look south of here and see a number of underserved areas, you know, going down, you know, Marion Whitman, Stewart Randolph, uh, Taylor Talbot, all those counties. But there could be underserved areas in a community the size of Columbus, right? right? right. I mean, to find underserved area underserved areas. Well,
1: you know, the state has certain criteria and, and we sort of modify those. So it It doesn't have to be a rural area to be underserved um, but there are more underserved areas in the rural parts of the state than than in others, so those two sort of things go together, but the definitions sort of fluctuate um, and in in our particular case i think I think you know we only accept Georgia residents, and we have an unusual and interesting admissions criteria where. Where they grew up, the zip code, actually, of where they grew up or lived um, plays a role in where they're ranked. And, and, and kids that are actually from rural zip codes get preference, everything else being equal, to uh, kids from, say, Metro Atlanta. And so we actually try to admit folks that we think are more likely to go back and, and work in an area like that because that's where they grew up and that's what they call home.
0: That is... That's fascinating. I mean, and the state, through its financial contribution, what eight million or whatever the number was, is encouraging you to do that, right? Oh, the yeah. state wants these kids going back to, right? That's that's why
1: they support our our school is because that's our mission, and and this is how we accomplish that mission. So, for instance, this this last class is over fifty percent rural students, and only like fifteen percent or so from Metro Atlanta, which you know, that's half the population of the state.
0: Is that a difference between, say, Mercer and the Medical College of Georgia?
1: I, th- I don't know of any other college that has that sort of an admission policy. If they, if they do, I hadn't heard about it. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think they just take Georgia students, do they?
0: No, they don't. No, so, yeah, I
1: think that's very, in fact, I think it's very unique. Like, I think it's unique nationally, not just in the state.
0: Have you been interviewing students? Do you do you interview students?
1: I'm not on the admissions committee this year, particularly since I just started. I yeah. really, I probably shouldn't be because I really need to know how the, how the school starts working before being on that on that committee, which is very important. Choosing the students actually that's probably one of the most important parts of the whole school. So um, I'll probably be on it one day, but I'm not on it this time.
0: So the building if you drive second avenue you've seen the building or if you're on the river or you're looking across from Phoenix city you've seen it um describe the building that's under construction and sort of give us a timetable for when when that construction is going to be complete because y'all are starting students
1: in a temporary space that's right uh so the building is uh 80 plus thousand square feet um it's uh really i'd encourage anybody to walk up the Riverwalk and see it the, the Riverwalk front of it actually is uh, is the most beautiful part of it it's going to be brick and stone on the outside the, the architects have designed it to really fit in with the uh, sort of historic riverfront architecture that Columbus has um, some of the brick actually mirrors the, the city mills building next door so uh, it really is quite a beautiful building literally on the Riverwalk and uh, it's going to have a Big research animal research facilities on the second floor. The faculty offices are on the second floor with windows overlooking the river. It's really quite spectacular. Big auditoriums, sort of high high tech, state of the art equipment for education and simulation training. Um, it's going to be a fantastic, fantastic facility.
0: In There has to be a lot of thought in designing that type of building because of just, I mean, things that you don't need in another building. Like you need a cadaver room. I mean, there are
1: things you need that... And because of formaldehyde and things like that in a cadaver lab, there's sort of a lot of infrastructure and safety equipment that is required for airflow and things like that. And then you think about doing biomedical research with biohazards and things like that that have to be dealt with and the infrastructure of a building that... That is doing biomedical research is you know sort of very specific for that.
0: That was one of the things that was lost in the Mercer announcement was the research piece of this. Talk a little bit about that if you would, Dr. Solis.
1: So it's pretty exciting part of it to me actually. We, the uh, about half of the second floor of the entire medical school building is going to be research labs. <clears throat> excuse me for um, PhD biomedical researchers to do animal, genetic, cancer, and other bench, you know, basic science, biomedical research. Um, and, and we have budgeted for 10 to 12 researchers to be doing really nothing but research in that building, a little bit of teaching, but they're primarily going to be biomedical researchers doing, you know, state-of-the-art uh, uh, medical research up there, and the equipment they've bought in terms of microscopes, PCR machines that are, you know, genetic machines, um, is, uh, is really quite state-of-the-art. And the other campuses, I hear, are a little envious of, of, these, of this nice stuff that they're going to have up there. So that's a, that's a big part of, you know, being a medical school, I think. It, otherwise, it's just classrooms.
0: So give me an example. You said cancer research. Give me an example of some of the research you hope to be doing in that building.
1: Well, let me give you an example from the Savannah, from the Savannah campus that does, that does research over there. Um, they have a, a researcher that figured out how to sort of construct genes um, in such a way that he can sort of almost like a 3D printer, print a particular gene. And I think the idea is to find out a particular genetic signal that a cancer cell has, make that into practically a vaccine that is a way of producing sort of an immunological response just against the cancer cells but not against other cells. Um, and he's actually started a – he has a startup, actually, in uh, in – Uh, savannah it's actually gotten some funding some some venture capital funding so it it's sort of things that can spin off into sort of biotech industries Um, so an
0: incubator in the truest sense of the word. right
1: right another i you know another one is obviously with coronavirus we have a researcher there that's putting coronavirus mrna in the chickenpox virus because the chickenpox vaccine is one of the most last long-lasting and effective vaccines. And he's thinking, well, you know, maybe this'll be a way of one shot and when you're young and you'll never get coronavirus. So things like that.
0: How, I mean, as you move forward with this, how has COVID impacted what y'all are doing here? Obviously you're in the medical yeah. field, but how has COVID impacted the start of this med school?
1: So it really hasn't impacted the startup too much you know it was it really affected the medical students last year during the shutdown when when covid first got bad and the and the and the businesses shut down the hospitals literally thought well we're just going to send them all home we can't have students here cuz what if they get covid they get sick and they literally their their education was sort of put on hold for a little while until people sort of got a handle on how dangerous was this and when it became clear that if you protect yourself, you wear a mask and you're careful, um, you're not, you don't get COVID from the hospital if you're a hospital worker. It's actually relatively rare. And so uh, they you know, slowly started getting back together. Of course, the, the lectures had to be virtual. And so there were all kinds of things that, ha- that happened, mostly to that class. The class coming in today, essentially they're all gonna be vaccinated and it's going to be in person and we and we already know how to you know be safe at the hospital so it's not going to affect the incoming first year class too much
0: as you, as somebody who's worked in the medical field through covid um what about this pandemic has struck you the most two
1: things one is how strange a disease it is I mean it makes some people just so sick that they die from it despite everything that we can do to keep people supported you know by with their hemodynamics and all that and then some people have it and don't even and are asymptomatic that's just a very strange and there's everything in between very strange disease that sort of affects somebody like not at all and kills this other person they both have sort of the same amount of virus very odd the other thing that's, that has just struck me is how few people have gotten vaccinated. And this, and this thing of waiting to get vaccinated or worrying about the vaccination or the politics of vaccination, it's just disheartening because this thing would just go away if everybody got vaccinated. It would literally go away, and, and nobody would talk about corona coronavirus anymore.
0: The last two nights, that's been my story. I talked uh, um, to uh, Scott Hill, who's the CEO of Piedmont Columbus Regional, and I interviewed Scott, and you know, and he was talking about May 6th. He had told me he, they they were preparing for a fourth wave, and he thinks we're in that wave now. Fears were in that wave. And he was talking about the vaccine and how this was preventable. Yeah. And then today I interviewed Mayor Skip Henderson, with his frustrations, thirty-one percent totally vaccinated in Muscogee County, thirty-five percent have had at least one shot. I mean, to I mean you just touched on it, but I'm gonna push a little deeper here if you're okay with that. Uh what does it tell you that people as a health care provider, that you I mean you're the one you're in the group that takes care of them when they get sick, what does it tell you? that they're not taking this vaccination.
1: I mean, it's just, I think it's a reflection of where the sort of culture has gone. And I don't know if it's just the social media aspects of how people get information these days. It's sort of a a general lack of belief in institutions. uh, You know, I don't know if you've read about, some people are calling it an epistemic Sort of crisis where what people believe somehow we don't all share that like we used to. It just seemed like everybody knew what was true and what wasn't before, and it's gotten where everybody gets their information from different discrete sources to the point where they believe something is true that you know isn't, but you you literally can't convince each other
0: either way. But I mean, it's a uh,
1: very strange.
0: It is. I mean, I mean, when you can take somebody who has spent his entire life fighting disease and Anthony Fauci, and he all of a sudden gets vilified. I mean, I don't get that. I mean, that we're. I mean, strange.
1: Of course, the politics of it is is part of that, right? Because Somehow that's been politicized, but um, but people that are sort of hesitant and, and waiting to see, I mean, how many millions of people need to get the back? I mean, my question's always Well, how many more hundreds of millions of people need to get it before you've waited long enough? I mean, what are you waiting for? Like the number of people that have gotten it? Well,
0: I've seen multiple sources. One was at school stories. One was out of Jacksville. I think another was out of Methodist or somewhere in Houston uh, where doctors are and one in Alabama where doctors are reporting that people that are unvaccinated are essentially ve- begging for the vaccine at the end of life and there's nothing they can do about it. Right. That's got to be incredibly brutal on a yeah. healthcare professional saying, starting, you know, kind of looking at somebody and saying, I'm sorry, you missed the boat. Right. Yeah. And I
1: mean, it's terrible. The people that are still dying COVID when it's completely preventable. Yeah. It's horrible.
0: Well, thanks for, thanks for expanding that. I, I appreciate that. Let's to go back to kind of Mercer and Mercer Med. Uh, Mercer Med, and you touched on this a minute ago, is possible because of a partnership, the university, the state, incredibly generous philanthropic donation or, or philanthropic gifts here in Columbus. Is there a model here that we may see more of down the road when you're doing something like a med school startup here
1: well the way I've been thinking about it since learning about how much the community supported this project financially and otherwise I mean they took 15
0: million dollars um, right off the bat
1: and then they and then that was before they even the the, the thesis gave us that property that we're building the uh, the, the building on um, I, you know it makes me want to make sure that the the school becomes such an important part of the community that all of that in retrospect is going to look so worth it to everybody so we I really am you know thinking well how can how can a medical school be a transformative force for a community like this because they deserve something like that?
0: It's a good thing you work well under stress <laughs> right. <laughs> But, I mean, but you do have some pressure here. you. Silver. I mean,
1: sure, you, sure. I mean I we mean, have a responsibility.
0: I mean, they've built a plane. you got to fly it and land
1: right. it now, right. right? That's absolutely right. And we're going to make sure that <laughs> <laughs> the thing flies and the thing's going to land. Because, really, I mean, I, I feel it personally. I know that the president of the university and Dean Sumner in, in Macon, we all feel that, you know, we have a responsibility to make sure that this thing not just, opens as a medical school but it's a good medical school and is a and, and is a force for for positive change for the community
0: when you get that building open and stuff i mean you're going to have some amenities that maybe will attract certain kind of student or person because you know, you'll be able to literally come out of you know if you're studying or you're in a Cadaver Lab or wherever you are and you've got an hour free you'll be able to go throw on some running shorts and go do a 45 minute run and come back and get back for your next class i mean there're not many right. places you're going to be able to do that right
1: that's right it's it really is a great uh, great location it's going to be one of the nicest located medical schools anywhere i mean I, the the view from there is tremendous the downtown activities for students is you know really really nice the well there's a YMCA not, Couple blocks away,
0: you're going to have a, a hotel literally on your campus, uh, almost. Campus, yeah. That for visiting professors, right. visiting faculty, or people that are coming in on research projects, right? Right, that's right.
1: So it's it's really going to be a very very
0: nice facility. When you spending a career doing what you do, being a vascular surgeon, and is this a gear change for you now or is this kind of a way you kind of go into retirement is this how are you look how are you looking at this chapter um,
1: I'm looking at it as a new challenge that basically allows me to sort of move away from everyday clinical vascular surgery to to a position where I can still contribute I can teach medical students, I can help administrate getting this school started and still sort of make a difference and, cont- and contribute without basically taking call every <laughs> third night and, and being under the daily stress of doing fast surgery procedures. So it's a way of sort of slowing down, but... Uh, I've been working more hours than I thought
0: I would. <laughs> to be honest, and you're still you're still practicing vascular surgeon as well, yeah, right? You, a little bit. Are you yeah. working out of one of the hospitals here? I've done uh, some cases. I
1: basically am helping the vascular surgeons here um, with cases that they would want to hand in. So I'm, I'm not. I don't really. I don't have time to actually have a practice and and see patients and take care of them. So I'm sort of. I've I've sort of edged into the being the assistant mode, and uh, and you know practicing vascular surgery for many years and teaching residents vascular surgery for many years, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, pretty good help.
0: <laughs> I, bet, I bet you are, <laughs> but you know, there are, there are some vascular vascular surgeries that require two surgeons in the room, right? Uh, yeah,
1: they should be anyway. I mean, yeah. it's just better that way, particularly big high risk cases. It's just the stress level of, of a big major vascular operation with two surgeons is literally cut in half. So it's, it's just a more comfortable way of doing it. Because you know the other person in the room can can actually help. Sometimes it's even just a matter of sewing something from what, this side of the table or that side of the table if you're right-handed. If it's over here and it's a difficult exposure, well, you can't just like, well, I mean, you could walk to the other side, then walk back and walk to the other side. But having it's another more surgeon- more Yeah, having another surgeon in the room is, is important. Uh,
0: What's been your impression of the medical community here in Columbus?
1: Um, that's an interesting question i um, I'm still learning the medical community here. Um, I know sort of the, the hospitals better than sort of the medical community um, because there's so many physicians and it's hard to it's hard really to get out and, and meet them and learn who they are because you you know I can't just if I just walk right. into a clinic or doctor's office go hey I'm, I'm the medical school you got a minute to talk? Uh-huh. no they don't they're busy they're, like, they're, they, they've got their practice so I'm still sort of learning it a couple of things have have struck me as as unique to Columbus one is that um, it seems like I've always lived in a place with one really really gigantic hospital and then maybe a little hospital or two and this town has sort of Two more sort of equally sized um, hospitals. I mean, Piedmont's
0: a little larger,
1: a little no. bit, but it's not like a 600 and a 200 bed kind of situation. Yeah. Right? Um, and uh, and then the other one is, I've, I'm I'm a little surprised by how few graduate medical education programs there are that that is residencies. It's got a very well respected and and longtime family medicine residency on this sort of side of the specialty spectrum and and an orthopedic residency with Houston Clinic and not anything sort of in between there that cities this town sometimes the city uh, cities will y'all fill some of that
0: in now you think
1: well I'm hoping that we can be academic partners for the hospitals that want to you know for the hospital's Wanting to, to expand that. We are, San Francis is getting an internal medicine residency and we're helping them with our expertise doing that and, and uh, hopefully there'll be other opportunities in the future.
0: You get on an elevator with somebody and they, they ask you for the elevator speech in, of, about Mercer Med School. What's your elevator speech?
1: My elevator speech is that we're hoping and we're going to work towards making this medical school be a positive force for the community by interacting with the healthcare, the education, and the research that is sort of the uh, stool, the three-legged stool of a medical school. In healthcare, we can help the hospitals with residency programs, with physician recruiting, other things like that. In education, one of the most, I think, you know, really interesting things we're doing is is we're forming an affiliation with, uh, with CSU, Columbus State, for a, for a guaranteed admissions program so that their pre-med students, if they meet criteria for admission, they automatically get to school, get to go, go to medical school here. So it'll be an automatic admissions program with them to have a pipeline for local kids that want to that wanna be doctors that can make the grade at CSU to automatically get in uh, to, to the medical school here in Columbus. They had a
0: pretty good nursing program at CSU. So it's a natural fit, right? Yeah, right, right. You know, collaboration is one of the things for the most part, Columbus has done very well. For a period in the nineties, there wasn't a lot of collaboration between the hospitals. That seems to be changing a little bit now, but you know, how important is collaboration in the medical field
1: i mean between physicians it's extremely important and you know between hospitals that have you know their own bottom lines to worry about it it can be difficult at times and and you know honestly a medical school since we're not going to be opening a medical facility a clinic that'll compete with other physicians in town or the clinics that the hospitals have I'm hoping that we can you know be a be one of those institutions that does bridge the gap between the two hospitals that they can work through us and we can all work together to to sort of improve the health care in the region so I'm hoping that the medical school being you know not in competition but can be a partner in in healthcare and education i'm hoping that we can uh, you know play a role in in increasing the collaboration between the between the hospitals of course the other I- aspect of it though is, is the reality is that hospitals have, you know are now all practically all parts of large healthcare systems that that are usually have headquarters outside of out of town they're not really locally sort of controlled institutions anymore but that's sort of how Healthcare system is gone, and we'll just have to work with that.
0: I mean, if you look right now, our two hospitals are controlled by Georgia institutions essentially, Emory and Piedmont. So, at least right. Emory and, and some. Um, last thing, in a couple of weeks, you're going to get your first class. Uh, those, I'm sure you will address them at some point early on. What are you going to tell them? Welcome, and
1: you just I'm going to tell them the first six, the first. Semester is going to be in this temporary building, but just wait till you see where we're going in January.
0: So, so you got to hold them off for. The, so okay. fall fall's going to have its its own particular challenges for right. the first class of Mercer Med sure. students and the first faculty. Right.
1: It'll it, and we're and we're going to have some bumps in the road and we're going to have a learning curve and that kind of thing. Our faculty is new they did some training in Macon so that they're going to be ready to actually start with the tutorials and things like that we've we've got our medical practice and our simulated and our standardized patients already going and so there'll be a few bumps in the road as we as we get started but uh, we have a lot of support Um, we have a you know the temporary facility is is really quite nice and so
0: where is the temp facility
1: it's on the corner of 5th Avenue and 11th was uh I think it was either a thesis or a okay, building okay that was, at where, one point. was that
0: is that where the original building was that's
1: to? where the original building was and I will tell you something about about okay, that yeah. the uh, the budget for that original building um, I don't know exactly what it was but when thesis donated that land the the present university and the and the trustees approved another twenty million dollars for the building project just to make sure that that the that the building was appropriate to the donation and the and the location, so and really that donation made Mercer, you know, pony up
0: as well. There's a lot of skin in the game on yes, this. Yes, it year. is. <laughs> um, we're getting toward the end of this now. Our hour together, uh, I do what I call turn the tables. Um, And it'll be interesting to see where where you come at me on this. I give my guests, and some of them know me pretty well, so the questions are fascinating, but uh, you don't know me very well. Um, I'll give my guests a chance to ask me a question. So we've been talking for an hour. You've kind of, I mean, we've got some mutual friends, but uh, what you want to ask me?
1: How do you end up doing what you do? Like, did you, like, grow up being... TV
0: podcaster. I mean, what? How, <laughs> yeah. how did you? How, how, I am not a TV guy. If you can't tell. I am not. I mean, I guess I am a TV guy now. I got to quit saying that. I know it makes some of my bosses mad, but I'm a newspaper guy. I spent my I spent 35 years, 36 years, 37 years, however many years it was, in the newspaper industry. And then in November of 2018, I took this huge leap of faith and came over here. Um, I you know, so you've
1: seen the newspaper industry completely change right? i have i i
0: have and you know and i have seen it where i'm kind of glad i'm watching it from outside right now um you know and this is a WRBL is a great place i say this probably probably answer have most of the questions i get like that This is a great place, great young people. I mean, we got Dylan Hanson here as our director, but we got a room full of Dylan Hansons. I mean, we got young reporters, young production people, and you know. And I think it's probably something you're going to find with your med school stuff. I mean, when you get around bright young people, and you and I are probably the same age. I'm sixty. Sixty one. Okay, so we're pretty close to the same age. When you get in an environment where You're surrounded by really bright, talented young people, it does make you younger. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, it, you, you, you learn from them. They, you know, you know, fortunately with the gray hair, some of them look to us for experience and for, you know, for guidance and mentorship. And, you know, that's kind of the, the cool part of being old in an environment because. I mean, these are the guys that are going to be running the world, not us. Pretty right, soon. right?
1: I actually taught my first class today, and uh, that was quite fun being around young people, talking about medicine, going through some cases, and giving you know a vignette here and there from my experience. So that it is, it is really quite nice to to be surrounded
0: by young people. It it it, it has a it just has a youthifying feel to it. For lack, of, I just never been. Dylan don't tell anybody uh, but uh, you know it really it is and you know it's it's interesting because I mean I've enjoyed this hour I really have because you're somebody I really wanted to get to know a little better and this is a good way to do it because you I mean I don't think having covered the Mercer Med stuff and known about it I mean I, I was a fairly close friend of Pete Robinson's and I remember when Pete made the first speech to the to the young professionals in Columbus challenging them that we needed a med school, It's probably 10 years ago. And that and that was kind of part of the genesis of this. I remember the first time I heard say, you're crazy, man. You'll never get a med school here. I mean, there are a lot of people that are depending on this to be done right and be done well. And, you know, and I really envy the position you've walked into because you really – they did sort of give you the keys to something that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's quite it's quite exciting.
1: It's quite exciting. And and the commitment from the university to make sure that that does happen is is there.
0: And I think that's one of the things that's really got people in Columbus excited cuz you are seeing Columbus and Macon probably work together in a way that's very rare. Columbus and Macon have always sort of had a natural rivalry that has gone back over the years and you know Columbus has had the Fortune 500 the Fortune 500 company country our companies making has had the interstate and in the economic development opportunities that brings. but there's always been a little bit of making Columbus push back at least in the 30 years I've been watching it so it's going to be it's been really interesting to watch making and Columbus work hand in glove With making kind of playing a huge role in the development in Columbus. Well, our guest has been Dr. Maurice Solis. Dr. Solis is the new dean of the Mercer Medical School Columbus campus. It is about to start. Have y'all started classes yet? Nope, two weeks. So, two weeks, you will have 60? 30. 30, okay. 30 first year med students. And by the time everything sort of rolls out, what will it be at the fourth year?
1: Uh, basically, we're going to go up 10 every year until the till the
0: class size is 60. So, changing Columbus one doctor at a time. Dr. Solis, thank you so much for joining us. If you give us a second, we're going to wrap up and get out of here. The Chuck Williams Show can be heard on wrbl.com and seen uh, at Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. Uh, you also can get it, you also will be able to get it, Dylan. Tell me how to say it. I'm just going to let you say it. All right.
1: So we can't say like which one it is, but so like there's this like fruit company, I'll say um, that's like <laughs> taking a little bit of time uh, for us to get our podcast processed on their website. Um, but we'll be on, we'll make, we'll make an announcement. We'll say this. We'll make an announcement hopefully next week, um, maybe two weeks. I'm hoping it's honestly going to be end of this week, early next week, but we'll have to see. Um, but stay tuned for that. We'll make an announcement on the Um, on the newscast, and then probably also on social media and all that kind of stuff, so just stay tuned.
0: And that's Dylan Hanson. Dylan's our director and has always done a great job. (laughs) But the cool part about when these podcasts, and it's mine, Phil's, Bob's, and the sports guys, when these podcasts do hit these podcast platforms, we're going to be dumping, you know, nearly 20 episode libraries into it. So if you want to listen to me or listen to Phil's Faces of Faith, you'll have multiple options and i'm really excited about that piece of it also let's go to social media we all love social media don't we folks i am you can get me on twitter at chuck williams you can get me on facebook at chuck williams wrbl or on instagram at chuck williams 0999 one of these days i'm going to explain what 0999 is yeah i, I don't even know actually <laughs> Last four digits of a phone number we used to have. Okay. Oh, so pretty simple, huh? Uh, okay. Well, you've been listening to the Chuck Williams Show. Our guest today has been Dr. Maurice Solis. He's been fascinating to talk to about the new Mercer Med School here in town. As we walk through the next week, do me a favor: be kind to everybody you're dealing with, because you don't have any idea what baggage other people are carrying right now. We're coming out of a pandemic. There's stresses everywhere you look. So just be kind. It doesn't take a lot to be kind. Thank you for listening to The Chuck Williams Show. We'll be back next week.